0: Blessings, and welcome to the Ecclesia Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing insight on worship renewal throughout the entire Christian faith. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Myers, and each week I will be joined by Dr. Jim Hart and other special guests as we enter into discussion on the various topics of Christian worship and how to better worship together as the unified body of Christ. This podcast is sponsored and hosted by the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies, an institution focused solely on worship education. The mission of IWS is to form servant leaders in Christian worship renewal and education through graduate academic praxis grounded in biblical, historical, theological, cultural, and missiological reflection in community. We hope that you will join us in this mission of Worship Renewal so that we may all come to a more unified understanding of our triune God and lead others into his rightful worship. All right. How's it going, Jim? Good to see you. You know, we're starting here on our first uh, podcast episode of Ecclesia. You just heard in the introduction a little bit about what uh, this podcast is we're hoping to bring to you but first we just wanted to briefly introduce ourselves before we really get into the goodies of what we want to discuss so my name is uh, Dr. Kevin Myers I'll be the host of the podcast I'm a IWS alum and uh, currently working as the director and campus minister of worship at the St. Thomas More Newman Center Parish in Columbia Missouri at the University of Missouri so serving the university community, as well as the parish community. So very lively, really cool demographic. I mean, just very diverse, all of that. So it's been a blessing to be there. I'm in my second year so far there, and hopefully many more to come. And then I don't think anybody listening to this will be unfamiliar with who you are, Jim, but why don't you go ahead and tell them anyway?
1: Let me say this first. You have kind of a dream job, I think, in many ways. I agree. Being to (laughs) hang out. Yeah, being able to hang out with college students and and uh, and talk about the Lord. <laughs> it's it's a good a, gig. It's a great it's a great gig. And yeah, so I get Jim to do the music Hard. still too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There you go. I'm Jim Hard, and the president of the Robert Weber Institute for Worship Studies. And I've been doing this job since uh, since 2007. Bob died in April of 2007, and I became president on on his death. I was acting president before that time for a while, while Bob was quite sick. But, you know, I, he he mentioned me over the many years I knew him. We established a school in 1999 in Orange Park, Florida. Bob established a school, but I was the only person who lived in uh, the, the area. So I became the <laughs> de facto <clears throat> dean of students and uh, handled all the housing and meal arrangements for students on campus when they were there. And I worked closely with Bob the whole time. Became When I graduated, I became the dean of administration. Still full-time though, working in music in the host church of IWS back in those days, Grace Episcopal Church. And then so became Dean of administration part-time, but still full-time music director at the church. when Bob became ill with pancreatic cancer, he asked me to take over as, as president. And I said, "No. I mentioned many other people who I do I thought, <laughs> a, a better job and who knew higher education. But Bob said, uh, "Well you, you know, you'll learn higher ed. You know the school quite well." He may be a little cavalier about higher ed. It was quite a learning <laughs> curve, but you know, so I've been doing it since since 2007 and full-time since 2008 in this role.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'll speak for a former student under your presidency. I think you're doing a great job. So we're definitely <laughs> blessed to have you in the community. And yeah, so... That's just a little bit about us, but again, this podcast is going to be solely focused on our worship of the Lord and just that beautiful aspect and all the varying topics that go within within this. I mean, there's so many times where I think we look at worship in a small package of, at least I know for my upbringing, the check the box, I went to church on Sunday. And that just is, that was what I knew. It was, you know, you go to church, you get the Eucharist, you, you hear the scripture, you sing the songs and if you're bad the priest is going to see you in the front row. So, you know, but this there's so much more. We know that. It's it's everything. It's our life. It's we live it and we in our daily lives every day. So, this is just something I know Jim that you wanted to take this first episode and kind of just talk about this big picture. This big picture of worship.
1: Yeah. As you as you indicate, it's a multifaceted area of of study and it is um to to sort of misquote a little bit of vatican ii it is the source and summit of the entire christian life right so everything we do comes from worship and conduces to worship our entire our our spiritual lives but not just our spiritual lives but our entire lives come from worship we get set off a mission to to do the mission of god in the world and then we're gathered back to worship so everything comes from and conduces to worship which makes it the most important thing you could possibly study we're doing a number of Facebook ads right now for recruiting for our, our upcoming session. And we get, as often happens in social media, we get some really weird comments. But one of them uh, that has come up several times from people is, why do you have to study worship? What? Can't you just get out there and sing? No.
0: If <laughs> only if we're that easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not if you're going to be effective. You have to know what you're, what you're doing. You have to study worship. You have to know this Thing that is the source and the summit of the entire Christian life. Mm -hmm. So I want to look at a a couple of things here. One is, and this relates to the big picture of what worship is. So worship is there's there's this kind of a a balance between these various aspects of of worship. I'm going to be mentioning here. Well, one is the balance of dialogue. The dialogue is there's a there's a speaker and there's a responder. So God speaks and we respond in worship. That makes it into a dialogue. But it's more than just God speaking, and more than just response. Bob Webber couched it in terms of God's actions. So, God's actions are celebrated and and brought forward in worship. And so, our action then is to respond and then to go, right, in mission. So, there's this idea of God acting and, and us going. And part of that is God speaking. So, when God speaks, so I want to bring this, this this perspective from Karl Barth. Karl Barth said the one unique thing about the Christian God is is, is in Latin, Deus Dixit, God speaks. Well, that's there's, there's an inherent Trinitarian understanding of that. If God speaks, then there has to be a speaker, God the Father. There has to be a word spoken, God the Son. And there has to be interpretation of the word, God, the Holy Spirit, that interprets the word to us. So that's actually a Trinitarian concept, the idea that God speaks. In, in no other religion besides the Judeo-Christian tradition does God actively speak to his people. So that's a unique thing about, about our God. And that's a unique part about our worship as well. So God speaks, we respond. God acts, and we go off in the mission. Yes.
0: Yeah, I you know... I think that's a really great place to start here, especially there are so many times where, and I'll be even speaking with students about this, where they'll say, I have a relationship with either just God, the father, or just God, the son. Like they Mm. find that in their prayer life, I'm just praying to Jesus Christ. And I'm not always praying to the father or seeing it in a, in a full effect, or even praying with the Holy spirit, you know? So this idea that our relationship with God is formed by our relationship in worship is so critical because if we don't have that foundation in our own devotional prayer life, there's no way we can understand it on the grand scale of corporate worship. So that idea of, and I mean, it's a very human thing, right? Our understanding that God speaks and we respond. I mean, we speak, we respond to one another, even in just the practical things during the church service. You know, if Mm -hmm. there's a Psalm that's responded, you know, there, all these things kind of fall in line. And I think it's, just such an important place to start understanding that foundational relationship isn't just in our individual personal relationship with god but it extends to that big corporate worship that that unifying factor with the body
1: right right you know i read this recently either in uh, one of two orthodox theologians either callistos ware or in uh, patrick henry rudin and they said that we need to be praying to it in a trinitarian manner and I, I catch myself thinking as, of, of God as as, a one, as one singular expression, and, and we, instead of thinking God, of God as being triune, I find myself doing that. Um, and I think it's a great challenge for us to be, to be thinking in terms of the triune God, how our prayer <clears throat> is actually a participation in the prayer that's ongoing in the life of the triune God that's a, that's a that's a concept that i need to get into my own my own oh, for uh, sure um revelation as i pray so i so i see myself as participating it, it, and, and therefore it's not my words that really carry any weight but mm-hmm. rather it's the the activity of the triune god that i'm entering into that really carries the weight i think that's an important perspective another Area of balance that still deals with this idea of God speaking us responding is the idea that that through the the rule of prayer the lex Arandi, we are formed in the rule of belief the lex credendi, and therefore the rule of the law of living lex vivendi, and they all work together. There's this constant motion of, as we pray, so we believe, and then so we live, and which brings us back again to to pray right? So if, with, without God speaking, we don't have that. We, but as we as we respond to him and allow His our, our law of prayer, participating in his prayer, then to bring us into the law of belief that then leads us to the law of, of life, that's where true life, I think, lies for us also.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it also follows, one, that almost Trinitarian formula, you know, with the, right. the three, but also in in our structure of worship, you know, Lex Vivendi coming at the end, there being this, you know, rule of how do we live our lives? How are we going on mission? You know, Jim, I know you and I both agree that there could be more robust forms Mm. of the sending right in worship. And that's definitely something I think that really corresponds there when we think about, okay, how are we promoting Lex Vivendi? How are we saying, okay, are we taking these first two steps and then just kind of, eh, I'll give the third one a shot. Or are we truly putting ourselves in each of the three kind of compartmentalized things there? So just yeah. understanding mm-hmm. that they all have to be connected is so critical because, like you said, without that, without any of them, but especially without that last one, you know, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. We're just kind of staying put. We're not living it. We're not spreading it.
1: Mm-hmm. There's there's also hints, I think, here of the three great transcendentals, which are all mutually yeah. applicative of one another, right? So. The rule of prayer is like it's like a a rule that is beautiful. Prayer is beautiful in many ways. So there's a beauty there that's revealed—a relationship, a mystical relationship. Rule of prayer, the rule of belief, the lex credendi, is how we enter into the truth of God by believing in His truth, and then the lex vivendi is the 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 moral life, the good. So you, you see, I think maybe hints here even of the beautiful and the true and the good in this, in this taxonomy of lex aronde, lex predendi, lex vivendi.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yep. Second big area, I think, of of balance we need to look at in in worship is the balance between anamnesis and prolepsis. Those are pretty big words, Greek words. Anamnesis is essentially, means don't forget, don't have amnesia, right? Right, right. (laughs) And it's, is looking at God's actions and history brought into the so in this idea of, of of anamnesis, we we not only remember God's great works in the past, but we celebrate them and we and we live into those great works, and they're brought into the present. But we actually in our collects we actually say, Lord, you did this in the past, now do it again. Mm. <laughs> Right. That's I mean a, that, that's a great break. the
0: Last Supper and the, the celebration of the Eucharist, the key thing in in describing that when it comes to worship, you know, just that okay, we're remembering and kind of reinstating this this action that occurred and then living that forward. So yeah, it's it's very fascinating when you really kind of put it to the Eucharist.
1: And remembering, of course, is not just a, a something we do in our minds. It's not it's not a right. mental activity, right? It's it's actually a re membrane is bringing the members yep. back together again right. bringing the members that have been have have existed historically and here here in the present time as well bringing those together as we once again become the body of Christ as as Paul said in in 1st Corinthians 10 that we we come together to be the body of Christ then to be sent off in the world to 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 be the body of Christ to the whole world and that's balanced with the idea of prolepsis a prolepsis is bringing the, the future into the present we see this a lot in the church fathers they they wrote proleptically quite often <laughs> they had this eschatological vision that that went way beyond what we tend to, to do here and so th- there's this anticipation of what's to come and we can we can begin to participate in that right now and not have to wait for some great age to come we we begin to participate in that now but 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 inadequately right we always have We're always waiting for the final eschaton when we will be finally fulfilled in that relationship with God. So those two things, I think, are held also in touch. We see it in a lot of music. A great example of uh, Anamnesis is, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yeah, you were. You were. Yeah. A, A great proleptic text would be, lo, he comes with clouds descending. Descending, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is yeah, he will do that, but he's also doing it as in a in a way now as well.
0: Well, and I think about that too a lot, you know, again to to kind of bring it around the Eucharist, really, you know, at least in the in the Catholic tradition, one of the big things that we talk about, this idea that we're not just sharing this with each other, but we're sharing it with the divine kingdom as well. That we are at the table with the angels and saints and and all that are in heaven, and just this understanding of the present, the future, the past all melding together. I mean, i always loved, I'd never heard the phrase until, of course, coming to IWS, but Bob Webber, ancient future worship. I think that is that's everything. when you really think about it, it all comes together during this one, probably the mo- well, for sure, the most important event in our lives each week or every day if you go to church every day. But just that idea that you know past and present meet and we all meet at the table and we all share in the divinity of Christ. At this great sacrament.
1: So, what do you often see below the altars in Catholic churches carved into the altar? You often see saints that are dwelling there around the table with us. So, my one of my great mentors was my chaplain at at Oral Roberts University, Bob, Dr. Bob Stamps. And when, when my mom died, this is 1978, Bob told me back in those days, he said, Jim, you'll never be closer to your mom. Than you when you're at the Eucharist because she's right across the table from you. Beautiful. Never ever forgotten that. Yeah, never forgotten that. So we're and there. And so we're true. Gathered, yeah, it is. So we're gathered there with the saints. We're so we're also across the table from St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Right. John. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Some heavy hitters. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Saint Saint Isaiah, right? Saint Elijah, <laughs> they're all right there with us. And of course, Jesus and his mother. <laughs> right. So Not to forget them. Uh, yeah, right. So I mean, what a what a great privilege it is to be in that. Yeah. Kind of a, yeah.
0: So we live this anamnesis and prolepsis. And I'm so glad that you brought this as a, you know, one of the big points of talking about this big picture of worship, because that's the truth. That's what we find ourselves in when we gather together, especially around the table.
1: Yeah, it is the truth. It is the truth, and it's a truth that can get obscured if we're not if we don't have eyes to absolutely. see and ears to hear, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have to pay attention to those things, and have and have that sense that we are entering into a different world. And
0: this is why we study worship. <laughs> this
1: is exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Try try to sharpen our senses a bit. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. The third area of balance has to do with transcendence and imminence. So. the transcendence of god is the fact that god is is other than us Uh, in fact as as one theologian said otherly other she is he is he is so as as a woman theologian said that he is so other than us we can't even comprehend how other he is than us right and yet he's also imminent he knows how many hairs we have or do not have on our head <laughs> yeah yeah he knows he knows us more intimately than we could possibly even know ourselves and he's both of those things at the same time which right. is mind-blowing yeah and i think
0: jim this is exactly where my students especially get caught in this relationship idea and trying to figure out what is my relationship like with god himself how how can I be so intimate with the one that feels so far away? How right. can I have both this balance of transcendence and eminence? And it just, you're right. That's like, it's so mind boggling that there's almost like a trap that they can't get past. There's like a wall that they can't bust through to be able to experience that balance. So if, if I'm a student coming to you and bringing that up, what advice would you give them in that idea of how do I really kind of because it's almost impossible to get the perfect balance, obviously. But how do we try and center ourselves in between those two things?
1: That's a great question. My, my initial sense is this. Uh, we need to come, we need to have an attitude of, of reverence and fear and trembling when, when we come before the Lord. And we sometimes, we sometimes err on that, on, on, the, on the side of, of, of God, the triune God being a little bit too chummy. With us at times, so sure. I think we can talk to God in a in a very friendly conversational way, but to approach God first, I think we have to understand that He's not us, and that He is the He is the holy other. I think here of the of the great image that C.S. Lewis uses of, of Aslan, of yeah. Aslan being being um, good but not safe. So God is not our our chum or our boyfriend as we as we sometimes sing in some of the prayer right, songs right and yet he knows us so intimately that he can be like a spouse to us at the same time so mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a very odd juxtaposition <laughs> of, of images no, but, but but
0: but when you're trying to understand truth even though you know that's the other thing when we talk about the study of worship we're studying something that we can't know everything about mm-hmm, <laughs> we're right. studying something that we're trying to get as much as we can from what we can get, but we will never have all the answers until we are with God. So uh, at which point it won't matter, (laughs) but, but so understanding those two great differences that need to have that connection, that balance with each other in your relationship. I think that's a really important thing to unpack. And, and especially, you know, like I said, so many of my students, they'll talk to me about that and that's kind of a struggle with them where they're, where they're really fighting that in their, prayer life let alone even their their worship life
1: reminds me of saint thomas aquinas when he was starting minor seminary and his first question in class was uh professor who is god and they spent he spent the rest of his life trying to figure that out and uh, he said if you think you know who god is that's not god <laughs> <laughs> um, now, don't take that to the extreme, because there are right. things we we can know about God. But but the church, a lot of the church fathers felt that we know God more apophatically than cataphatically. So apophatically we means we know him more by what he's not than what he is. He's not changing. He's immutable. Right. He doesn't change. But we can also say, on the cataphatic side, he is love. But what is yeah. love? But what is love? So that's something we have to spend our lives, our whole lives also studying. What is what is love? And so, this is I why
0: mean, functions like pints with Aquinas were created. That's right. <laughs> because sometimes right. you just need
1: some help. <laughs> you need some help. That's right. That's right. And so we so we know God by what is not first and then we know him somewhat by what he is. Again, another great article I, I read. I, this, was, this was Patrick Henry Girden. We talked about, Knowing God apophatically, and, and that and that we can over mysticize that. The fact is that the apophaticism of God, the unknowability of God, is offset by the incarnation itself. So, in the incarnation, God became flesh, which was tangible, visible. You could you could you could see Him, and now in the Eucharist, we can taste Him. I mean, th- so you have all these these physicalities that are that are brought about through the through the through the incarnation, which make the transcendent God imminent to us. Right,
0: And I mean, we see that, of course, throughout the entire worship experience, you know, where we're singing as we come in, we're singing praises to this transcendent God We're we're singing our joy and our thankfulness to him. So it's very much that that we definitely were coming in with that reverence and understanding he is the otherly he is. That is what he is. And then by the time you get, you know, it almost built the imminence almost builds. Right. Because when we get into his word, we're getting closer to him through that for sure. And then, like yep. you said, when we touch him and taste him in the Eucharist, we've just gone from the transcendence from the beginning all the way down to this most intimate place. And then we yep. exit with this idea of being intimate with the Lord, but also spreading his
1: transcendent mission. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so Being, being set out, being, being out with fire to love the yep. world to the God who is love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. If we really find good.
0: out what love is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's right that's right you know again going to aquinas on this aquinas's definition of love was to will the good of the other as other right and i like it's that probably one. that's <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. probably as good a definition as you're going to find anywhere yeah. uh, but how do we love the world as right. other not without any expectation of inurement back to ourselves it's just loving the world because god loves the world right and god is love yeah yeah yeah
0: well, Jim, one of the last things I wanted to kind of touch on here, as we talk about this big picture is this idea of unity, right? So one of the things from my just personal background that I'll share to kind of highlight this a little bit. So my family, my mom grew up Irish, Italian, Catholic, cradle Catholic, mm-hmm. and it was kind of what I like to call the old school black and white theology. You know, you go to church, yeah. you follow the rules. If you do wrong, you'll go to hell. If you do good, you'll go to heaven. Like, very, very cut and dry. Like, that's kind of how it was. And then my dad grew up fundamentalist, small Bible church, Protestant upbringing with my very quiet, reserved grandfather uh, and grandmother who would sing um, the same hymns in a circle, have their little Bible groups. So, you've got this big liturgical thing with, at the time, was very cut and dry, hard rules. Mm -hmm. And then it's married to this. Well, why aren't we just talking about this? Why aren't we just looking at this? Why aren't we just looking at the the Bible for what it is and and all of that? Now, Mm -hmm. my dad really impacted my life in the way that he never once, I always assumed as a young kid that my dad was Catholic, except he didn't go up to receive communion. I was always confused about that. Why isn't he <laughs> going up the right. communion with us? Right. However, the beauty in this was just because, you know, they had the understanding that they were going to raise us in the Catholic faith, but my dad never saw it as Catholic worship. He saw mm-hmm. it as Christian worship. And mm-hmm. that really stuck with me, especially mm-hmm. when I went to a Brethren in Christ college where, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there were moments where I was met by a lot of people that said Catholicism isn't even Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty in the Catholic camp that would say the same about anyone that's not Catholic. And so Mm -hmm. there's this huge disunity amongst denominations amongst, you know, all these people from these different backgrounds. And, but one of the things that stuck out to me, like I said, in that personal way was this beauty of it's Christian worship. We're Mm -hmm. all in this as what is, what is Christ's ultimate will for for us that we all be one, that we all Mm -hmm. be one. And so Mm -hmm. You know, when I was, I think I gave this as kind of my IWS testimony. Really, when I decided on coming to IWS for my postgraduate studies instead of Catholic U or Notre Dame or something like that, it was because I feel very strongly that worship is the only thing that will bring us Mm -hmm. all back together, fully unified as a Christian community. And the more we live in that and the more that we grow in that, it's just such an important thing to unpack and something that we shouldn't leave out as the big picture of worship. It's to serve as the great unifier that, you know, you, Jim, an Anglican, me, a Catholic, a Southern Baptist, a Methodist, a free church, any of it can all sit around the table.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is probably the most difficult issue that's facing the Christian today. Buckle up yeah right so this will be the topic of a future podcast um because it's such an important topic but let me say this john 17 jesus high priestly prayer this is a this is what he writes what he he said starting in verse 16 let me start in verse 18 as you have sent me into the world so i have sent them into the world and for their sakes i sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I think that the disunity of the church undermines our mission to the world. Absolutely. Um, this is why it's such an important topic it yeah. undermines our mission to the world when we're in unity and i'm talking about a real unity not not one that we not just can't we all get along unity but actually real not unity tolerating world. yeah right yeah. real unity of faith and practice until we reach that unity we'll, we'll, our mission to the world will be always somewhat undermined and so one of the the one of the strategies of the enemy of our faith is to destroy the church's unity. <laughs> and arguably, worship is one of those places where he is, he's been most effective.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's so our biggest have, tool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 And so it's, as as one person once said to me, the the very, talking about the Eucharist, the very sacrament of our unity has become the icon of our disunity. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we approach this kind of, of to use a technical word, ecumenism? that yep. actually is the, displays the unity of the church. Well, I think for one thing, we need to be having dialogues, lots and lots of yes. dialogues about where we, where we have differences to try to come to a unity of faith and practice. I do think it's achievable. I'm not sure if it's achievable in our lifetime, but I do think it's right. achievable. And it, it, a lot of it has to do with preferring one another to, to listening deeply to one another, to what our concerns are and how we go about addressing those concerns amongst all the Christian faith groups. And so, so we hear the differences, we address the differences, and we begin to dialogue on those differences and find common ground. I've been seeing it, I've seen it happen a lot between the Lutherans and the Catholics. Uh, they, they've had a number of meetings and yeah. produced a number of documents on, on, these, on these issues. They I mean, they came are, out with... Way to go.
0: Yeah, but that joint uh, doctrine on justification from the late 90s, I mean, that's huge because what is still one of the big things that they say pin Catholics and Lutherans, it's justification. Well, we have a document together
1: describing it and in that document they they actually say here's what we agree on and here's what we still disagree on
0: absolutely
1: but but in a much more brotherly way than it was a hundred years before you know (laughs) so (laughs) that's for sure great great progress in those areas but there's so so in in terms of what we do in worship i do think this this uh, study of, of ecumenism is very very important to to understanding what needs to happen in worship because in worship the body of christ Comes together. The body of Christ is not divided ontologically. That means in its in its essence, it's not a divided body. Christ is one body. Likewise, the church is one body. So why are we fighting so much with one another? (laughs) We we need to overcome those differences and 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 work through those. And it's going to take a long time, but we need to work through those differences. And and because that that will be make our worship more effective. It'll make us more effective. Then because all worship conduces to mission. That'll make our mission more effective if we're not undermining it by being in disunity,
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave it, Jim. I think kind of having that, you know, kind of leave them with a big thing there at the end. You know, as we go forward with these podcasts and the next one we'll be discussing the first of the fourfold order of the gathering. And we're going to kind of take a journey through that and then dive into some of these deeper, more difficult, but conversations that hopefully we find shouldn't be that difficult. So thank you as always, Jim. This has been great. And we'll get, you, uh, th- we'll get that next one rolling and keep this, keep this fun thing happening. So thank you again. And thanks everybody for listening and uh, have a great rest of your week.